Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On this week's episode of Mysteries of the Unexplained, a tragic family fire, but all might not be quite what it seems. Will tries very hard to think of one interesting thing about himself, and Danny comes up with an inventive new money-making scheme. This is Mysteries of the Unexplained. of Mysteries of the Unexplained, where we discover the answers to questions that have plagued mankind for years. Yes, nobody else could do it. It took two people from the southeast of Ireland. My name's Annie. And my name is William. And we are here to blow all the experts out of the fucking water. Hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, By shocking them with our ignorance towards these uh, paranormal stories. Hello, Annie. How is she? She's good, she's good, she's keeping busy, keeping on the up and up, on the up and up. Um, She's busy, busy, busy. Just hit a little bit of a something there just to keep me going. Um, just, yeah, all good, all good, all good. <laughs> and how's the uh, discharge this week? Um, changed in colour or texture or tone? Not as not as heavy and um, yeah. the smell's still there but other than that grand um, thank, mm-hmm. thanks the tube the half tube that you gave me seems to be working a little bit so <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks for that well I thought it was along the same lines now and now it's unfortunate that it was a pessary that you have to actually put up there but mm. I think at this stage we've spent so much time together that we've, we're probably immune to each other's other germs yeah, probably. Um, and yeah. I, can't, I can't even smell the bullshit coming out of your mouth anymore. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, nose well, blind. You know, that's what will happen. That's what will happen when the your septum has, you know, dissolved. Hey, listen, I was thinking there before I started this, if you had been a girl, your name would have been like Mary Margaret. Like it what? definitely would have been like a double barreled, like there's Mary Margaret now. Oh, and you'd be like such a complete Ashling. You'd be just like, oh, yes, I'm going to get married now at 25 and have the three kids before I'm 30. Wow. Wow. Well, if you were a fella, you'd be like Cornelius. Do you know, like be, <laughs> <laughs> here comes here comes Cornelius. He, he likes uh, chasing cars <coughs> and collecting vintage crisp bags. <laughs> I wonder if that's actually a thing. There were some great ones back in the day. Um, now, anyway, listen, shut up, Will. I don't want any of your old fucking palaver now today. Or as you like to say, palaver. It's that funny, annoys it's me. palaver, not palaver. You, Get it together, Mary. Have, Get it together. You little shit. You have been saying palaver for about 25 years. Palaver, palaver. Annie. Palaver. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, before we go any further, I would like to say that we had just a beautiful review come into oh, us yeah. there with five stars. Yeah, uh, Naomi there, uh, 
Um, and Naomi just joined the Patreon as well, I think. And I just want to say to her, you're our favourite this week, Naomi. And she said, I absolutely love this podcast. The banter is incredible and actually makes me laugh out loud while listening through my headphones. So my five-year-old thinks I'm crazy. You two are amazing. I binged Motu and had to sign up to Patreon. Oh, she did. That is Naomi. Just to binge of all of what to fuck book book, which was the worst name for a podcast ever. And it was called What the Fuck Was in This Book. Not you. It's like as if you forgot the name. Yeah, but sorry, um, I was just looking at the, the I was just looking at the, the lettering. Uh, yeah, what the fuck, I can say what I want, it's my week. Fuck it, I let it out. Anyway, don't stop doing this, love you both. And that was Naomi. And I just want to say. Thanks Naomi. Any of the rest of you lazy fuckers would like to get on iTunes and leave us a little review, would be greatly appreciated. So just get the little fingers out, tippy tap type, type five stars. It'll take you 10 seconds, lads. I love the way over the weeks it's getting more and more aggressive that you're asking for <laughs> reviews. Start threatening people. I'm not mocking you. I'm just like a certain asking podcaster, you for some love. Oh, like a certain podcaster. Like a certain podcaster that bollocks his uh, listeners. Which anyway, that's for another episode. We love to look at this. We won't say any names because it would be the type to come back and slap you with a lawsuit. But we're like, oh my God, look what they did this week. Oh my God, look what they're threatening this week. Now, I'd just like to say that my, my gentle prods won't turn into threats. Yes. <laughs> they will. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> it's getting yes. there. I think, I think you're a little bit salty because the GoFundMe that we started for your bun has only reached two cents. And somebody had actually asked for the tally during the week on Facebook <laughs> and I gave it to them and they were like, I think they were like, oh, uh, I think you're a bit salty over that. But listen, maybe I'm completely wrong. Anyway, this week I have an amazing story for you guys. Um, it's actually she was correct. <laughs> Show me the receipts. I don't look. I don't need any fucking bun. Okay, my hair is living its best life during lockdown. I'm after growing inches. Roisin, will you get that tumbleweed sound effect up for me for editing <laughs> this week? Thanks, love. You're a doll. I love that bun on you. Fuck this! I'm just gonna get this over with, Roisin. Yeah, yeah, your bun is lovely. Could could you press the music? Could you put on the music there? You're after putting on a few COVID pounds as well, aren't you? Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, if your finger can still depress the button there, if it's not too wide, thank you. Oh. The disappearance of the Soder children. George and Jenny Soder. Oh, I always get this thing when I go to read that I'm not recording. I'm recording, I'm recording. <laughs> John. George and Jenny Soder were a well-respected, solidly middle-class couple. Italian immigrants both, they had built a wonderful life together in the new world. George and Jenny had ten children between 1923 and 1943. The rapidly growing family moved to Fayetteville, West Virginia. The little Appalachian town had a small but active Italian immigrant population. The Soders quickly became one of the most respected families in the community. George was admired as a responsible and devoted father to his brood. He wasn't afraid to share his opinions, but in one area he was curiously silent. He avoided any talk of his past in the old country and never discussed where he chose to leave old Italy. On Christmas Eve 1945, the Soder children opened their presents. Nine of the ten children were still at home. One boy was serving in the army, but as World War II had ended that August, he was now safe from harm. George and two of the boys, John and George Jr., went to bed early. The two boys helped their father in his trucking business. The other children were far too keyed up to sleep. They finally went to bed around 10pm to dream of more Christmas cheer in the morning. Jenny took two-year-old Sylvia, the youngest child, to her bedroom and put her down in her crib for the night. Then Jenny too went to bed. At around 12.30 the phone in George's office rang. Jenny woke up and went to answer it before the shrill noise woke the household. An unfamiliar female voice was on the other end of the line. There seemed to be a party going on wherever she was. Jenny could hear raucous music in the background and the clink of glasses. Jenny sleepily told the woman she had the wrong number and hung up. On her way back to bed, Jenny noticed that the downstairs lights were on, the curtains were open and the front door was unlocked. She put everything to rights. Marion was asleep on the couch in the living room and Jenny assumed the other children were all tucked up in their beds upstairs. 
she went back to bed. As she was drifting off to sleep, she heard one loud, sharp bang on the roof and a rolling noise. It sounded like something had hit the peak of the roof and rolled down to the gutter. Jenny listened carefully, but no other noise came to her waiting ears. Her eyes closed and she fell asleep listening to the baby's soft breathing. An hour later, Jenny woke again, this time with a sense that something was terribly wrong. Then she realised that heavy smoke was curling into the room. She snatched Sylvia from her crib and hurried out of the bedroom, shouting for George. George met her out on the front lawn. John and George Jr. were also there, singed but safe. They shared an upstairs bedroom and had made their way downstairs through the growing flames, at the cost of only some singed hair. Marion, who had been asleep on the couch, was safely outside too. But the roll call was dreadfully incomplete. Five children, Morris, Martha, Lewis, Jenny and Betty, were still in the house. The middle children shared two bedrooms on either end of the upstairs hallway, rooms that were separated by a staircase, and that staircase was now engulfed in flames. George couldn't get back into the house through the door, so he broke a window, heedless of the glass that stripped the skin from his arm. The flames were still too intense for him to get into the house that way. George assumed, as did Jenny, that the middle children were still in their bedrooms, trapped by the encroaching flames. He knew he had to get to the upstairs bedroom windows to rescue them. He raced around to get the ladder he kept propped up against the side of the house, but it was gone, nowhere to be seen. George was running out of options and the fire department was nowhere in sight. He came up with a desperate plan. He would drive one of his coal trucks up to the house and stand on it to get up to the upstairs windows. But despite having been running only hours before, neither one of his two trucks would start. Frantic, George tried to scoop water from a rain barrel next to the house, but the water was frozen solid. He could only stand, helpless, and watch his home burn. He couldn't even hear the children screaming. Meanwhile, Marion sprinted to a neighbour's house to call the Fayetteville Fire Department, but she couldn't get a hold of the operator. Another neighbour, who saw the fire as he was driving past, drove to a nearby tavern to call the fire department. Again, the operator wouldn't answer. Seething with frustration, the neighbour hopped back into his truck and drove into town. He woke fire chief F.J. Morris and told him that the Soder home was on fire and that there were children stuck inside. The chief didn't know how to drive the fire truck, so he raised the alarm by using the fire department's phone tree. He called one fireman who called another and so on. The fire department was only two and a half miles from the Soder home, but the truck didn't get there until 8am Christmas morning. By then, the house was nothing but a charred, smoking hole in the ground. The Soder's home had been destroyed in less than 45 minutes. George and Jenny were beyond devastated. The distraught parents assumed that five of their children had died in the fire. By 10am, Chief Morris had finished his investigation of the ruins. He hadn't found any human remains, but he assured the Soders that the fire had been hot enough to incinerate the bodies. He told the grieving parents to leave the site untouched in case the fire department needed to investigate further. George waited for four days, but Morris didn't return. George covered the rubble in the basement with five feet of dirt, intending to plan a memorial garden for his lost children. On December 30, 1945, the coroner's office issued five death certificates. They all gave fire or suffocation as a cause of death. But as the pain and horror of those first few days began to recede, George and Jenny Soder realised that many questions were yet unanswered and they couldn't shake the feeling they had that their children were still alive. As they pieced together the events leading up to the fire, some strange occurrences stood out. A few months earlier, in the fall, a stranger had come to the Soder home looking for work with George's trucking company. He didn't get the job, but during his conversation with George, the stranger wandered to the rear of the house. He pointed at the fuse boxes and casually said, This is going to cause a fire someday. George shrugged off the remark. The fuse boxes had just been inspected by the local power company and they were in perfect condition. Harder to dismiss was another visitor who had come by the house at about the same time. 
This fellow was an insurance salesman who tried to sell the Soders a life insurance policy. When George declined the offer, the man was furious. Your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke, the man snarled, and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. It was true. George, a proud Italian, was an outspoken critic of the fascist dictator. And just before Christmas, the older Soder sons had noticed a car parked along the highway. A man sitting in the car had been watching the younger children with unusual intensity as they came home from school. More questions arose with later investigation. The official cause of the fire was faulty wiring. But Jenny had seen lights on downstairs just an hour before the fire started. A telephone repairman showed the Soders something interesting. Their phone lines had not been burned through, but rather had been cut, 14 feet off the ground and 2 feet from the utility pole. The ladder that was usually kept leaning against the house that was missing when George tried to rescue his children was found in a ravine near the house, and a man was accused of stealing a block and tackle from the Soder property during the fire. Equipment that could easily have been used to dismantle the soda company trucks and stop them working. Later, toddler Sylvia found a hard green rubber object in the yard. Jenny remembered the bang on the roof and the rolling around. George identified it as a napalm pineapple bomb. And it seemed to the soders that this could explain the fire that had consumed their house from the roof downwards. Most frustrating of all was the lack of physical evidence of the children's deaths. Jenny, especially, just couldn't wrap her mind around it. How could five children perish in a fire and leave behind no bones at all? Out of curiosity, Jenny began to experiment. She burned bones from the family's dinner table, chicken bones, pork chop bones, even the joint from a beef roast, and the results were always the same. The fire never consumed the bones entirely. Jenny put the question to an employee at a crematorium, who confirmed even when a body is cremated on purpose, burned for two hours at a constant 2,000 degrees, there are still charred bones left behind. The Soto house fire was intense, but it raged fiercely for half an hour or so. It only took 45 minutes to burn to the ground. Also, Jenny had found household appliances in the basement rubble. The metal was charged, but they were still very much identifiable. To add to the mystery, people began coming forward with possible sightings of the children. A woman claimed she saw the missing children in a passing car while the house was still burning. Another woman who ran a tourist rest area between Fayetteville and Charleston said she saw the children the morning after the fire. She told police that she served them breakfast and that she had noticed a car with Florida plates in the rest stop parking lot. More tantalising hearsay came from Charleston, about 50 miles west of Fayetteville. A woman who worked at a hotel there saw pictures of the missing children in the newspaper. She came forward to say that she had seen four of the five kids a week after the fire. In her statement, she said, The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out and I said nothing more. It was so strange. They left early the next morning. In 1947, George and Jenny asked the FBI for help. They received a personal letter from J. Edgar Hoover, but his reply was not encouraging. He wrote that this seemed to be a local case and it was not within the FBI's jurisdiction. A few FBI agents said they'd be willing to help the case if they could get permission from local authorities, but the Fayetteville Police and Fire Departments both refused the offer of federal help. The Soders hired private investigator C.C. Tinsley. (laughs) C.C. Tinsley! It's a great drag name. (laughs) Who turned up some very interesting facts. He found the insurance salesman who had threatened George Soder was also on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire accidental. 
that was intriguing, but Tinsley wasn't finished. Hmm. He heard some interesting information regarding Fire Chief F.J. Morris from a minister in town. Morris had claimed that no human remains had been found at the site of the fire, but he let it slip to the minister that he'd found a heart in the ashes. He said he'd hid it in a dynamite box and buried it at the scene. This egregious act got Tinsley's attention immediately. He confronted Morris and persuaded him to return to the site and dig up the box. Morris did, with Tinsley at his side. They took it to a funeral director who found that it was not a heart at all. In fact, it wasn't even human. It was simply a chunk of beef liver. Later, the Soders heard rumours that Morris had been desperate to find any remains of the site or even plant them thinking that this would placate the grieving parents and get them off his back. Weird. I, Very weird. I just fucked a bit of liver in a dynamite box and buried it there. If you did, you're an awful, awful man. So what are you thinking at this stage? Like, we have a little bit more investigation that's going to come to light, but, like, what is standing out to you? It's very bizarre. Like, I feel like that they obviously were removed from the house or something. Like, they didn't, they mm-hmm. don't seem to have been there. Like, if the, mm-hmm. the house only raged for half an hour, I think you said. So, yeah, you would have some sort of remains of their body and they're like, like a lot of remains. No, I don't yeah, know. Well, that, what, no, but that's what I... Person. Are you not, are you not... Wor- are you not working for the Wexford County Council? No, Fire I Department? only did it for I only did it for a weekend, and then I said it wasn't for me. I handed in my nose, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. Because when you tried to climb weird. up the ladder, actually, you were so tall and gangly that you actually got caught in the ladder, and then they actually had to bring you and the ladder to hospital and extricate you from the ladder. So, it kind of turned into an emergency all of its own. Yeah, but I got further than you because you gave your CV in and then they rang you and said, rejected. So uh, <laughs> it was like, I like fire trucks. Uh, <laughs> so, I like firemen in fire trucks. Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, yeah, I pre- like, I don't know. It seems to be pretty obvious that they weren't in the house and that they were rem- removed or ran away or kidnapped. No. Yeah, like when I started reading this story, I was like, oh, it's just parents that are like, that were so, even actually the first time I kind of read it through, Mm. I was like, oh, these are just parents that are really devastated. And of course, you'd want to think that there was a chance that your kids were alive. But then I was like, oh, no, wait now. When I read more about it, because I remember from doing our um, spontaneous human combustion episodes, which were like, so good, by the way, guys. <laughs> they were so good. <laughs> but like b- humans don't burn that way. Like unless you're um, sorry for the um, gross imagery, but like unless it's a huge degree of heat and it would need to be for hours and hours and hours, like the crematorium guy was saying. Mm. And at that, like... There would be there would be remains left and of five individuals. Yeah, there would be remains left. Well, we shall continue on and see what CC Tinsley is going to say, which is so going to be my drag name if my dream ever comes true. Okay. (laughs) In 1949, Tinsley and the Soders, along with Washington, D.C. pathologist Oscar B. Hunter, did a thorough excavation of the fire scene. The search uncovered several small objects, coins, a partially burnt dictionary and several shards of bone. Hunter sent the bones to the Smithsonian Institution for further examination. Their report determined that the bones represented four lumbar vertebrae from one individual who was at least 16 or 17 years old, but no older than 23. Again, this made no sense. The oldest missing child was Morris, who was only 14 at the time of the fire. The report said it was possible but not probable that the bones of a 14-year-old boy could show the maturation of a 16-year-old. To further complicate things, the bones showed no signs that they'd ever been exposed to fire. Mm. Whoever wrote the report even found it strange that in a situation where searchers expected to find evidence of five bodies, the only sign of any remains were four vertebrae. The report concluded that the bones were probably in the fill dirt that George had bulldozed over the burnt out basement to create a memorial garden. Tinsley later managed to trace the bones to a cemetery in Mount Hope, West Virginia. What bones from an unidentified grave were doing in the dirt at the Soder home was just another part of the mystery. 
the case mm. of the missing... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, how did Bones from West Virginia, sorry, get into the dirt in their basement? Uh, uh. Very weird. It was obviously planned that they killed the children and then decided to do this. I am feeling like... There was definitely a plan. Let's see if we can find out. I feel like that it could be a case that the watcher actually (laughs) had children that moved into this house. Will you stop? Sorry, will you stop trying to get Netflix to take you on for the Watcher series? I think there's already been a movie called The Watcher, Will, so you're just going to have to come up with something else. Um, It's been done. I'm sorry. Stop trying to get optioned for it. Nobody's listening. Hello, Soda Children. (laughs) I watched you today from the window when you looked up at me and waved and then stuck up your fingers. That is the end of you, children. Now you are going to take me home, country road. Go on. West, West Virginia. I don't know the words, but the watcher doesn't need the words because you're all going to perish. Goodbye. <sighs> The case of the missing soda children was declared hopeless by Governor Oki L. Patterson. He's actually called Oki. He's from the South and he's called Oki. Oki, Oki, I'm nothing. I'm proud to be an Oki from Muskogee. Muskogee? Anyway, the Soder family hadn't given up hope yet, however. In 1952, they put up a billboard along US Highway 16 near Anstead, West Virginia. West Virginia, Mama. The solemn faces of the missing children gazed from the billboards as the headline above them shrieked, What was their fate? Kidnapped or murdered? Or are they still alive? The family handed out flyers advertising a $5,000 reward. Later, they increased the amount to $10,000. Slim leads crept in from time to time. George saw a picture of some school children in New York City and swore he recognised his daughter Betty, the youngest of the missing children. He went to Manhattan to investigate, but the parents of the girl refused to speak to him. A letter came from St. Louis. A woman said that Martha, the oldest missing daughter, was in a convent there. In Texas, a tavern patron overheard a conversation about a mysterious Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. And from Florida, word came that the children were staying with distant relatives of Jenny's. George investigated every single lead, but every time his search came up empty. Then, in 1968, over 20 years after the fire, an envelope arrived in the mail. It was addressed only to Jenny. It bore a Kentucky postmark, but no return address. Jenny opened the mysterious envelope. Inside was a photograph of a dark-haired, dark-eyed young man in his mid-twenties. Jenny turned the photograph over with trembling fingers. On the back was a cryptic note. Louis Soder. I love brother Frankie. Illinois boys A90132. If this was a secret message from Louis sent to reassure his family of his safety, it didn't answer any questions. But the young man in the picture bore an undeniable resemblance to Louis Soder, who was only nine years old at the time of the fire. George and Jenny hired another detective and sent him off to Kentucky to investigate. They never heard back from the man. Nevertheless, they added the picture of the handsome young man to the billboard on US Highway 16 and they enlarged the photo and hung it over the fireplace. The boy did so look like Louis, and if there was even a chance it was him, now they had a tenuous connection with one of their missing children. Every single clue pointed to the five Soda children having survived the fire. All the evidence shouted that they were still alive, and out there in the world somewhere. But where? Aside from that one cryptic photograph and a handful of possible sightings, the Soda children were gone like wisps of smoke in the wind. George Soder died in 1968. He never stopped believing that someday his children would come home to him. Jenny retreated into her home and built several additions onto it, making a bulwark between herself and the world. She wore the black of mourning from the day after the fire until her own death in 1989. After Jenny's passing, the family took the billboard down. By that time, there was really no use in leaving it up any longer. The last solar child, Sylvia, is now in her early 70s. She still keeps tabs on any possible news about her missing siblings. There are no ghosts in this story, only a deep and abiding mystery. There are no ghosts, only two grieving parents who lost half their family in one terrifying night. 
There are no ghosts unless you count the five young faces that kept watch from that billboard for so many lonely years, their solemn gazes staring down the West Virginia highway. There are no ghosts, only questions. Van. Very peculiar. Very weird. Very sad story. I know. Isn't that one of those ones that just leaves you like... Uh, uh, like, but there has to be, like, what? And then the poor, poor parents just never, ever know. But I completely think that they were still alive. Like, I don't think that they died in the fire. No, it sounds like they were kidnapped and the fire was started to cover their kidnapping. Yeah, they said that they might. So the dad, like, they had left Italy and... um. The dad was a very anti-regime and Mussolini came into power like when they were still young people and they were living in the States. And they said that he was maybe like there's some people thought that he might have been part of the revolution, like a part like part of people that were like aggregating for for change in Italy, like through the American system. And if so, he would have been he would have been keeping it really quiet because there were there were hitmen that would take you out for that kind of a thing. And it was really strange mm. that insurance man like came to his house and said that about the kids that like you're like why would an insurance guy say that you're you're going to die for your for your teachings against Mussolini it was really strange but like apart mm. from any of them I, I guess it's all circumstantial stuff but like the phone lines were cut no help came from like it's it seemed like no help purposefully came from the fire department like somebody had bought them off or something because like they didn't answer the phone and then the, what if the chief of police didn't know how to drive the the chief of the fire department didn't know how to drive the truck <laughs> listen we're not all good at everything Annie <laughs> he was like I can't drive the- you're not good at tying your shoelaces you have to wear velcro you know but I am really good at shoelaces so you know you can't some people are better at some things but it all evens out because we're all the same we're all equal. We're all equal, but I'm better. Very um, sad story. And yeah. um, if they are, if they have died, rest in peace. If they are, were kidnapped, hopefully they had a nice life. <laughs> um, if they, <laughs> yeah, I'd say they had a great old time after being kidnapped. But, oh, brilliant! Mm, yeah, but maybe like maybe they were sold as orphans and for money or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that what happened to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Very, uh, you know. Um, oh, I just love ringing you on a Wednesday um, just to bring you down for the rest of the week. Just in case you were thinking that the week was looking on me up and up <laughs> and everything was getting better. And now you'll have to go and take some of your medication. Thanks. Now. Thanks for that. It's definitely after pepping me up this week now, that story of the children that were never found. Good. Um, like to keep you in your place very, but wait 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 weird. this this, this, this might it, this might cheer you even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ask Willie anything. That's me. <laughs> At least I remembered it was your name of the song this week. Oh my God, we've had an, uh, once again an overwhelming reaction to my call out there for people. If people don't know what this accent is, this is like a G4 accent. This is the posh accent you can have in Ireland. Um, kind of a little bit like Vogue and I'm just going to read everything out like Vogue. Um, no, I won't. Ooh, yeah. Because I sound, I sound like an arsehole. Sound like an arsehole. Um, oh my gosh. Will, are you ready for this now? You're just going to have to answer each question like openly and honestly because people are trying to get to know you. You've got to take down that wall, William. Take down the wall. Okay, well, I'll, I will try my best and hopefully, hopefully I will uh, do this all justice there. Okay, okay. How do we go? Here we go. If you could replace the star of any movie, who would it be and which movie? That question comes in from Alison Scott. Hey, girl, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good question. It's hard to know. I think... Well, I watched Prometheus last night again. I I probably would have sh- replaced Charlize Theron because I thought she kind of just didn't really fit that film. Um, I don't know. I think I probably would have put her in with, like put somebody else in there a bit like harder. Like I know she was acting hard, but I didn't. I didn't think she came across as. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like her in that film. Um, I don't know who is I'd she put too her in like. Place. Is she just too beautiful sometimes, and then she just like you can't. She's not really believable in a real job, <laughs> even if it is like a, a the captain of. Was she the captain of that ship? She's from the that corporate whaling corporation. The, your man's daughter, ah, wasn't yes, it? But yes, maybe yes, I yes, don't yes. know. Like I think maybe she was cast in the wrong role. Maybe maybe if she had been the other one, the doctor one. Elizabeth Shaw maybe it would have been better actually yeah 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 and the other one was that because the role that they gave her was a bit kind of like secondary or something and she's like yeah. a big big movie star you'd expect her to be more main and it probably would have fit better nobody puts Charlize in the corner no like she can't yeah. be in the corner of a movie she's so I used to be obsessed when I was a kid like, I was just like she is the most beautiful yeah. woman in the world yeah so I think that's my answer Alison you model your drag on Charlize, don't you? It's none of your business, honey. To be honest <laughs> with you. None of your business at all. You know. Karen Hobart says, "Would you ever pose for Annie to paint your portrait?" Thanks, Karen. I have done actually in the past. Remember? You have done actually. Yeah, yeah. I did do a portrait of you. Yeah, like I left it up at the house in Dublin. It was actually rather beautiful. I think I was actually quite generous to him. Um, yeah, I'll see if think? I can find a picture yeah, of it anywhere. It anywhere? Did you burn it or something? No, I threw I threw it out with the trash. I'm not even messing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> David Mill says, second to Alison's question, which Hollywood actor would play you, and who would play Annie in Mysteries of the Unexplained Movie? Which I just uh, actually just realised for the first time ever is the most amazing idea. But um, yes, and it's your question. It is. Thanks, David. Um, for me, it would have to be Jamie Dorn because uh, he looks like me. <laughs> he looks like me a lot. And um, for Annie, I'd say like Olivia Coleman. Um, <laughs> or why are you laughing at that for? She's, she's good. She looks like you. Or else uh, Peaches. What's her name? 
Peaches, even though she's not an actress. Actress. Peaches Geldof. Peaches Geldof is. Peaches Geldof is dead. Oh my god, did she die? <laughs> yeah, like ten years ago. <laughs> oh, I was wondering why she hadn't been around. Oh, rest in peace. <laughs> oh God, rest in peace. Um, she died of like a heroin overdose like ten years ago. Uh, listen, Olivia Colman is a wonderful, beautiful actor, 20 years older than me and um, wouldn't be on the same hotness level as Jamie Dornan. But sure, whatever you think yourself, will you live in your own delusional little world? David Mills also says, would you ever consider doing a real life ghost cryptid slash ghost cryptid alien hunt for the podcast? Yeah, I definitely would. But Annie wouldn't because she'd be a nervous wreck. And she'd be like, and ruin it. Uh, but I would. So, David, no, I, if you want to do it with me, that's no problem. Yeah, I can organise it. Yeah, no problem. I'd say David would love to do it with you. Mm, Alexis Maloney. And actually, before I go on, I did get in contact with uh, one of the most haunted places in Ireland last year for Halloween and asked them could we go there and they didn't get back to us. So when we're big and famous, you know who you are and we won't be asking you again. Alexis Maloney says, would you rather be forced to dance every time you heard music or be forced to sing along to any song you heard? Um, That's a tough one now. Probably read the sing along to any song, forced to sing along to any song you heard because the dancing there. Oh, jeez, that wouldn't be the best, I'd say. Um, well, yours is no. cat, I know that. Mm. I've seen it firsthand. I've um, seen you trying to work it in, in the George of a Saturday night with mm. your Victoria Beckham one finger dance. It, it, it didn't get a lot of traction. No, it was short lived, like our career. Um, but now I'm more kind of, you know, the hum and the singing along. So I suppose that answers your question, Alexis. Thank you. <laughs> Alison says, what is an utterly random fact about you? Minus that I was one of the kids on an 80s game show called Child's Play on ITV. It sounds kind of creepy. We had to film clues and the adults taking part to guess what we were talking about. Well, Alison, we never knew that we had a famous person listening to us. And thanks so much. And um, if you know about anybody in the BBC or the ITV, even, she gives an old shout there. Um, is there anything randomly interesting about you, Will? Um, I don't know. I don't have any celebrity uh, thing like that now, Alison. You can't come at me with something as high calibre as that and then ask me if I know anything about it. <laughs> uh, um, I am the son of a mayor. That's right. I'm the son, the son's mayor. The mayor's son. The mayor son. of who? Where, what? Of a town's land down here. Do you want to say for anonymity reasons, Annie girl? Do you want my PPS number as well? Jealousy. <laughs> 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 The ma- what? I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't have we'll any random facts. Random facts. Like I can give you facts. Yeah. Just try and like pick out. Random just try and pick out one thing that's slightly interesting about you that we don't know. I know it's. Hard. I am a beekeeper. I'm a ge- bee beekeeper. You wouldn't know that, maybe. Do you have any spell? Do you have any weird interests that people might think that you don't have? Oh my god! I just said I'm a beekeeper. I don't think many people knew that about me. What more do you want? Did you stop pushing me, Annie? Oh, I did an acting. I did an acting uh, course with the Gaiety School of Acting. I did. Uh, there you go. At one stage, I wanted to be an actor, and then I just decided not to go down that route. And then at one stage, somebody there was this guy that seemed to be in all the ads on television at one stage, and every thought it was me. <laughs> yeah. And the place where I worked, they were just like, "You're the guy from that uh, uh, car ad, aren't you?" And I was like, no, I'm actually not. And they were like, you are. You are. Like strangers, strangers were saying this to me. And I was like, no, I'm actually not. But yeah, loads of people say it's like me. It is you, isn't it? Okay, see you then. That must be so annoying that um, people tell you, like people are telling you that you don't know who you are. They know who you are, but you don't know who you are. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Carly Swalwell Swalwell Hi Carly If you could change one thing about Annie What would it be? Um, Her proximity to me (laughs) I'm literally like Four counties away from you How much further do you want? Too close It's still too close Well what would you change about me? Your proximity. You're going to be moving closer to me in the next year. Like literally, what, a 10 yeah. minute, 15 minute drive away from me? Yeah. That is way too close for comfort for me. Um, oh my God, we will fall out so quick. 
when we live back near each other. The way to the beach for you is by my house. That is very, very uncomfortable for me to know that. Because you're always at the beach. Maybe I might drag you back out into the fucking real world again. Um, Philip Norris said, no, as in don't change anything about any thanks, Philly. And he also says, a proper question for you, Will, no slagging off at all. If, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be and why? No need asking Annie this as she's already perfect. He said that. <laughs> if, <laughs> if I could change one thing about me, it would probably be that I could pronounce every word correctly. Um, because sometimes my brain goes, nope, nope today. Uh, no, I would love to be, I would love to be naturally a more um, muscular physique, but I'm as skinny as a little whippet. Yeah, well, you know, I'd love to have Megan the Stallion's ass, but it's not going to happen. Holly Blend says, if you could be Annie for a day, <laughs> a would you, what would you do as her? <laughs> Um, I'd probably find a stepladder, a tick rope, and a tree. <laughs> oh, fucking Jesus! And I would tie a lovely little bow on the tree and just call it the forever tree. What were you thinking I'd do, Annie? Exactly that, mine friend. <laughs> um... Phil says like he that you'd be lost with all the power you'd attain if you were me. Phil, like you know, like I got a fella and all, and I think like, Phil wants to bone you. If uh, if anything happens, I know where to find you. <laughs> uh, and Janique says, serious question now from Janique. You said you suffer from anxiety. I do too. How do you keep it in check? Oh, we could write a book on this one. I'd say. Oh, thanks, Janique. Janique. Um, I do, I do suffer from anxiety, yes. And how do I keep it in check? Um, from techniques that I've kind of learnt, a guy that I have been um, having like little meetings with over the past, I don't know, a couple of months. So he kind of gave me little techniques that I could possibly mm-hmm. give to you, Janique, mm-hmm. if you want to message me privately, which yes. have helped a lot. Um, that might be super helpful for Janique. And I also take, well, obviously see medical advice before you uh, go out and get these if you want to disclaimer disclaimer ashwagandha tablets I take them I find them amazing but they take like definitely two weeks of consistently taking them before you will see a benefit so don't just take them for five days and be like these are shy Um, it took two weeks and then I noticed a massive difference and also I cut out all caffeine out of my diet and noticed a massive mm-hmm. change. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. You were telling me this about the caffeine thing because I'm just yeah. a caffeine fucking fanatic and um like yeah. uh like just insane for the coffee. But you were telling me like we've been talking about this that like you couldn't believe the difference when you just like stopped having your like one or two cups of coffee a day. That like you physically felt mm. it's like like a huge difference. Yeah, because I had, I, in our family here, like, I started drinking, like, tea and, mm-hmm. tea mainly, and then coffee later on, uh, from a really young age, and it mm-hmm. obviously just never really agreed with me, and I didn't really know, and knew no difference, if you know what I mean, um, and then was all, but I was always a bit of, uh, more of a nervous child, and then, um, I only really realised that it was... Uh, well I actually read an article about caffeine and how it can make anxiety a lot worse so but I kind of just put that down to being like that didn't affect me because I kind of was like oh I'm sure when I drink tea I don't have a panic attack straight away but what I'm talking about is like it instills like this low level anxiety that kind of then your anxiety panic attacks will start from a higher starting point so it's harder Mm -hmm. to bring it down if that makes sense and when I noticed anyway that I cut caffeine out of my diet is that I was like way more calmer plus I was having cups of tea like a lot a day and they were just compounding because like caffeine will stay in your body for up to I think it's six hours so if you're compounding Mm -hmm. on that then it's going to make a massive uh, have have a massive effect on you but for me it worked out Mm -hmm. for me it made a big difference 
yeah and it might be something worth um, looking into for anyone out there that is struggling with anxiety um which seems to be so many people these days it's more and more common but like what you take into your body is definitely going to affect you. and i think uh, different people metabolize caffeine in different ways so like like I might be fine with mm. it uh, or, or and then it might affect you like so much more strongly but maybe yeah we can uh, get in touch with Janique on the Patreon because she is a Patreon subscriber and send her the techniques of that um, man that was helping you out well and thank you that is the end of mental health happy hour and please do consult a doctor and don't come sue us um, <laughs> wait 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 for what wrote Roshin's running toward Roshin's running towards me with like a file in her hands. What like oh breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Okay, Roshin, hit the button then. The button button. Woman makes four thousand dollars a month selling videos of herself farting. Yes, yes. Remember the fellow who recorded himself. Sorry, does Sharon and Fiolan on the RTE News have some big curly-headed fuck coming into the newsroom when she's in the middle of her breaking news story thing, making quippy, sarcastic remarks? I don't know, but she definitely doesn't curse on air. <laughs> no, no, I think not. Remember the fellow who recorded himself farting for six months before losing his job? Well, he missed a trick because he could have been getting paid for his content like a married mum of two who makes over $4,000 a month flogging clips of herself farting. Here's a freebie. I'm not going to play it for you now, guys. You can Google this shit if you want it. Shit means literally. Emma Martin, 48, a former travel agent, has been flatulence camming since 1999 and now charges $4.99 a month for people to view her exclusive bottom burping content. Her diet is specifically designed to help her perform. With Emma saying, I eat a lot of salad, asparagus, and avocados. I also eat lots of Mexican food. One of my favorites is coleslaw and baked beans mixed together. I eat a lot of bad one. The devoted mom from Rock Hill, South Carolina, is careful to only record her videos when her family aren't in the house. She continued, My husband knows, but he's not into farts at all. No one else in my family knows. I don't think they would approve, but I'm a grown woman. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Emma primarily uses OnlyFans website with the username Fartin Tart, but also also, also claims her custom-made videos get her more dedicated followers via clips for sale on PayPal. Emma currently has about 300 subscribers on OnlyFans, netting 2,400 from the site each month. Then she makes an extra $1,800 from the custom videos she makes for her top clients. She said, When I heard first about fart fetishes, I was like, Ew, what's that? That can't be a fetish, but then I got into it. It's kind of cool. It's a well (laughs) head. Secret fetish. Half or white collar professionals looking for custom videos where I say their names and do things they're too embarrassed to ask their wives to do. The other half of guys are only in their 20s and just follow me on OnlyFans. I started camming in 1999 while I was working as a travel agent. My first thought was I could buy a webcam and pay for it in a month. I'd be thrilled. But I was soon making $1,000 a week by fart camming for just a few hours. <laughs> I'm sorry. What is happening? <laughs> I record a ton of videos when I have the house to myself, so I always have something to release. Emma posts three erotic videos a day for her OnlyFans subscribers. You can find her on OnlyFans at Fartentart. Boop, 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 boop. No, that is definitely the worst one we've ever had. Sorry. What the hell? <laughs> Do you mean it was the be- like the worst is in the best story? You know what I mean. You know both. Both. Holy, holy lord. That is... Do you think it was the worst as in it's not bizarre? It's bizarre. 
I think you know what I mean. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> what the heck? Well, oh. listen, there, you can make money doing anything. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm off. I'm off to set it up an OnlyFans account because I eat a lot of vegan food, man. Oh, you stopped yourself there from actually saying something. You were like, oh, and then you just said that little line. Like, pff, I wouldn't put it past me if you actually did. The next time I seen you, you were going around in Versailles and you were just like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And I was like, sorry, what? Where did you get all this clobber from? And you were just like, do you know? <laughs> and then What's you were like. <laughs> I Do you mean Versace? Versailles. And, uh, Oh my she... god, you can't even pronounce that either. Oh my god, like this Vers- is so <laughs> That was a delayed reaction if I ever seen one. Um but anyway. a city in in France. Um anyway, that uh, yeah. you go off and you'd be like This is gold. Oh, this is gold. I don't need any more from you, Will you can stop talking now. Um thanks no, for joining me. No, come here for me a minute now. Come here for me for a minute. <laughs> You sit down in that chair now because I am going to read you to filth, young lady. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? I don't need me? any more from you. I've got everything that I need. First, thank you, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you. First would you like of all. To, would you like to tell all, the people? Would are you, you like a girl or a boy? First of all, are you a girl or a boy? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. Listen, I've just had the crack and really that's all that matters. If you'd like find us and send us a little um, grinds my gears which we read out on the Weird Wednesday Motu Weird Wednesday podcast for the Patreon then you have to become a Patreon I know that's yeah. all I've got to have to do about it I you go do, to patreon.com forward slash missions of the next bed and um, if you want to hear about the latest fashions from Versailles just let me know and I will be able to send you over any information <laughs> you like um, about it about Versailles and uh, Gucci and also uh, Chanel, um, just any, <laughs> any of those, and Jeez. also my Annie's personal favorite, Orla Keely, um, just any of those brands oh she can send, she can Do send, and I can send you over all the information, the latest collections that they have out and about do not if you'd like to ask us a question for uh, ask Annie slash ask Will you can find us on our fantabulous very hard to get into very exclusive club on Facebook there that asks you one whole question before you get in lads and you wouldn't believe the amount of people that fail and get knocked back but But, yeah yeah there is a lot of people that fail (laughs) and the question is quite easy Um, and also you can get extra episodes every week every Wednesday called Motu Weird Wednesdays on our Patreon if you want to sign up and this week we had a fantastic one that was called uh, all about tapping ghosts that went on fire and we talked about in-laws from hell and we also talked about amazing boyfriends and um there's loads of good episodes on that actually and you get yeah, the whole back catalogue of what the whole, fuck is in this book on it as well three seasons worth three so. seasons of our first podcast like so lads I mean, I like, I'll leave on, Annie like, Bully is now look she's off the bully now come on you come go into Penny Sarah Primark or Target or wherever is your like bet down dollar store and you'd buy a packet of knickers for oh. five euro I tell you when you get one get one wear out of each of those before you throw them in the bin and you could give that fiber to us and we could children we don't have any Bro. children any well we've both got dogs it's the same thing okay thanks so much for joining us this week will will be back next week with uh, another mochi weird wednesdays for the patreons and on friday with another main episode uh, till then stay safe join us next time for more mysteries of the this tune's gonna punish you punish you punish you punish you stop doing that Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.